And scripture can give us guidance. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. That's the kind of truth that here this has that's going to get you through your day. So we're going to go to scripture together. We're going to read in Exodus 2. We're going to be in Exodus 2 verses 1 through 10. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to open up your Bible, I know we don't have it on the screen. I, I didn't get it to, to the uh, overheads quick enough. Egg, uh, can you put the scripture up? Is that possible? Exodus 2 verses 1 through 10. Maybe. We'll try, but that's all right. If you don't get it, we're not going to worry about it. But um, can we have, is there somebody who wants to read it? Can somebody read it for us? Exodus 2, Don, I saw Donna's hand. Thank you, ma'am. So this is Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. Go ahead and do the whole thing. Thank you, Donna. I just realized as she was reading that if you were online, you didn't get any of that. So hopefully you read along Exodus 2, 1 through 10, but she did a great job here. So thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, we thank you that your word has given us light and hope and strength in times of weakness. And we pray that as we open up scripture today, that our minds would be open and that your spirit would speak to us through your word. In your name, Lord, amen. Now here we, uh, we have a story, and there at the end of it, you picked up, if you hadn't guessed what the story was about at the beginning, at the end of it, you might have picked it up because in verse 10 it says that Pharaoh's daughter named this little boy Moses. And of course, Moses is, is one of the most, um, uh, not, I don't want to say popular, but most uh, well-recognized uh, characters in scripture. And this is his origin story, right? This is his beginnings. This is what happens to him just as he's born. The Israelite people at this time, they were in a bad place. If you know a little bit around this story, you know that uh, the Israelites had been enslaved by the Egyptians. They were living in Egypt, and now they had to work as slaves. Um, And in fact, while they were there, they grew. They grew to be very numerous. And all of a sudden, they grew to be so numerous that they began to be a threat to Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh ordered that all of the baby boys who were born uh, among the Hebrews were to be killed, were to be thrown into the Nile. Um, and in fact, right before the verse, right before the section that we read, he ups the ante, and he says, now I'm commanding every Egyptian to kill Hebrew boy, baby boys. Let the girls live, but kill the boys. So it wasn't just a uh, uh, a pogrom, which is like an anti-Semitic systematic uh, persecution. It wasn't just that from the government, but now every Egyptian was a potential uh, murderer, and you could not trust your neighbors, you couldn't trust the people who sold you food, you couldn't trust anybody in the street because you never knew which of them was going to come after your baby boy. And uh, here in verses 1 and 2, we find a man of the house of Levi. He marries a Levite woman, and they have a baby boy. What an awful time to have a child, to have a son, right in the middle of genocide. How terrible would that have been? Normally, childbirth is a a wonderful, beautiful thing. I had the privilege of being at three childbirths, each of my kids, and it's a beautiful thing. But I can't imagine how stressful and fearful and anxious Um, this experience was for this woman and for this man to have a baby boy right in the midst of all of this. The risk was incredible. 
if they kept the baby, they would have been in violation of Pharaoh's edict, and potentially their whole family could have been killed. So what do you do? Do you risk losing everybody in the family for the sake of a baby boy, um, or do you take the calculated risk and, and get rid of the boy to save the family? I don't think there's any good answer there. I don't think that there's I don't think anybody has the moral high ground in that situation. That's a terrible choice to have to make. But here it says that Moses' mother decides to keep him. In verse 2, she became pregnant. She gave birth to a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. She refused to give her baby boy up. They decided to take the risk to keep the baby, and they hid him away. Verse 3, it says... When she could no longer hide him anymore, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she put the baby in it, and she put it among the reeds of the banks of the Nile. Finally, one day, this mother realizes that she can't hide her baby anymore. Maybe Moses was starting to get a bit noisy. I don't know what it was, but it was about around three months that um, our little baby Naomi decided she was going to be a noisy baby. You know, like up until that point, she hadn't quite up made, made up her mind about it. But then about three and a half months, she decided, yep, it's going to be noise. That's what's going to happen. And now she has a uh, loud screech that can peel paint um, that we enjoy very much. She has to keep up with her siblings. Like Moses, our little girl is the third born, right? And if you're the third born, is there, we got any third born kids here? One, there's a few of them. You got to be a little bit louder, right, to get attention. You got two ahead of you. I was the second born, so I was always drowning out my little brother. But if you're the third born, you got to be a little bit more aggressive, right, to get attention. He's got to fight to be heard. And so maybe Moses was starting to get a bit more noisy. Maybe people were starting to suspect things. You know, maybe some neighbors had, had gotten a glimpse of him or had uh, uh, come to find out something. Maybe somebody had given Moses' mother an ultimatum. If you don't take care of this, we will. You know. Whatever the reason was, Moses' mother decides to, the best thing to do is to place him among the reeds of the Nile River. Now in movies, which there's been a lot of movies about this and about this scene, it's very dramatic, where you see Moses' mother and she puts him into a basket and then she you know, sets the basket in the river and it floats serenely you know, downstream and then it gets stopped by a woman who's bathing. And I've always thought that's a really silly thing. <laughs> right here, this woman has protected this baby for three months, and now she's just going to send it on down river, you know, in a floating basket. Why protect the baby for so long if you're just going to drop him in the middle of a river and let him float on by? Guess what? That's not how it happened. In fact, that's a very dramatic, very helpful movie rendering of this, of this scene. But not at all scriptural. So let's look at what scripture actually says, huh? Because that's kind of, that's a good thing to do, right? It's a good thing to look. Let's look at actually scripture. First of all, the Hebrew word here, which uh, gets translated as basket, is actually the same word that's translated in Genesis 6 as the ark. It's the same word, ark. The ark, you know the ark, Noah's ark, right? My little girl, she loves that song. Who built the ark? Thank you, Debbie. No. <laughs> right. Now, an ark. Now, an ark is, is pretty different than a basket, right? An ark is sturdy. An ark is made of, of hard material. 
right? A basket is something you buy at the farmer's market because you forgot a bag at your house, you know, and it's flimsy, and, it, and if you can't hold water in that. An ark is sturdy. So right away, this is not a flimsy basket, but this is, a, this is an ark. Second, it was covered in pitch and tar, right? It says that Moses' mother covers this in pitch and tar, and it makes it not just waterproof, but soundproof as well. It's a soundproof technique. And third, once she's prepared this ark, where does the mother place it? Among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. In other words, she had fashioned for her baby a secure, waterproof, soundproof box so that when Egyptian soldiers came through her village, which wouldn't happen every day, but when Egyptian soldiers came through her village, she could put the baby in the box and put the box in the reeds next to the bank of the river where he's still going to be accessible, where he's still going to be near her. They won't, it'll, won't be suspicious because she's not around him, but it's soundproof. It kind of it makes it so that he can stay there and she can collect him during the day and nurse him and put him back in the box. And then when the soldiers have left, she can go and collect him and bring him home again. Right? In other words, this is, not, this is not like in the movies where you see it floating downstream. Okay, this, is, this mother has taken every precaution. She's thought this out. Right? She's taken the necessary steps to make sure that her baby's going to be safe. She's doing exactly what any good mother would do. She's going to the extremes. She's using her brain. She's thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I, I'm going to keep this baby. How am I going to do it? And what this mother did not know was that God was more interested in her baby than she was. You see, so many times in life, we, we take extreme care. We think things out. We plan things out to protect the things that we love. All the while not realizing that God is actually more interested in those things than we are. And he has plans that are greater than ours. Verse 5. Pharaoh's daughter, she comes down to the Nile to bathe. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. And she saw the basket among the reeds. And she sent her slave girl to get it. She doesn't want to go wading through the reeds to try to get it. So she sends a slave girl to go get it. God was invested in this baby. He had a plan. What was Pharaoh's daughter doing here? Now, it's interesting. It wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be uncommon for Pharaoh's daughter to go to the Nile to bathe. The Egyptians, ancient Egyptians, had a really elevated, mystical, mythical understanding of the Nile River. It was a sacred place. So for Pharaoh and his family to bathe in the Nile River, that was not uncommon. But it would have been extremely uncommon for her to go to the Hebrew section of town and decide to bathe in the Hebrew section of town. There's no reason for her to be there. The Nile, it flows up into her area near her home. So what's she doing down here in the Hebrew section of town? We don't know. It doesn't say. It doesn't say what she's doing there. Also, it happens to be at the same time that apparently soldiers or some kind of threat was happening in the village that Pharaoh's mom puts him down in the baskets or down in the, in the, in the ark in the, among the reeds. So the timing works out perfectly. Also, even though it's hidden in the reeds, and even though it's soundproof, this Egyptian princess spies it, and she's curious about it, and she sends a slave. Do you see how many things are, are starting to kind of fall into place here? So many coincidences. Once so many coincidences start to rack up, you start to wonder, what's going on? Is God up to something? God was invested in this baby. 
Why was he invested? Why was he interested in this baby? Generations earlier, long before Moses was even born, God had made a covenant, a promise to a man named Abraham. And he promised Abraham, and he promised him three things. Do you remember this? He promised him three things. The first one was that Abraham's descendants would be numerous. The second one, the second thing he promised was that they would inherit the promised land. They would inherit the land of Canaan. And the third thing that he promised was that nations would be blessed through Israel. He promised them three things. And now we find here in Exodus 2 that all three promises are under threat. Number one, The Egyptians are not being blessed. In fact, they're trying to kill the Israelites. Number two, the Israelites are not in possession of any land. They're slaves. And number three, even though they've grown in number, now the very future of this people is under threat as boys are being killed systematically. The threat was not against Moses' life only. The threat was not against Moses' life only, but the threat was against God himself and God's word. Was God big enough to fulfill his promise to Abraham? Could God make a way where there seemed to be no way? Moses and his family needed deliverance, but the real drama here is whether or not God is who he says he is. Is he trustworthy? Is he faithful? Is he strong? Is he mighty? Can he make a way? So many people today are looking at the chaos of this world and allowing the waves of the sea around them to distract them. They're allowing fear to get into their hearts. They're letting go of hope. They've all but abandoned God. But brother, you better believe that God has not abandoned us yet. He is still faithful. You may be on your last legs, but hallelujah, God is mighty. You may have given up hope long ago, but praise God, he has a plan. You may feel like your life is out of control at this moment, but Jesus is still on the throne, and his power and authority does not wane or wax. He does not sleep. He does not rest. He is still in control. This mother had done everything she could to protect this baby, but God was more invested in this baby than she was. So lo and behold, God begins to work against Moses' mother's plan. He had his own plan. She did everything she could to keep him safe, to hide him from the Egyptians. And guess what? An Egyptian finds him. Not just any Egyptian. The Egyptian finds him. Pharaoh's daughter, the Egyptian princess, finds the baby. And we're looking at that and saying, God, I don't know what's going on here. You imagine the next part of the story, right? Is that that baby is taken out of that ark and just dropped right into the river. But verse 6, she opens it and she sees the baby and he was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Who, was, who is it that puts kindness into the heart of people who know no kindness? Who is it that puts compassion into hard hearts? Who is it that softens people's hearts? Mm. Then she, his sister, then his sister who had been standing guard off to a, a distance. It says, 
she asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, go. And so the girl went and she got the baby's mother. Is that incredible? As much as Pharaoh had attempted to destroy God's people, all it took was a young girl, a resolute and caring mother, and a compassionate daughter to thwart his plans. To disrupt an evil man's plans. And I can't imagine the feeling that this mother had when Miriam, Moses' sister, comes running inside and says, Moses has been found, the boy has been found, your child has been found. I can imagine her heart just dropped. Isn't it a funny thing that we make grand plans for our lives and then God begins to mess up those plans? I had big plans for my life, church. Oh, I had good plans, really big plans. Anyone else have good plans for their life? Anybody else was like, oh man, I had my life. I had my life planned out. I, hey, it was good. I was looking rosy. And just when everything's coming together, right? I thought I'd figured it all out. The baby's safe. He's hidden. We're going to make it. We're going to do it. It's going to work. Bam. God messes with our plans. And we say, no, God, no, please. Please don't do it. God, I had it all figured out. My plans were so good. Uh Uh-uh. You had good plans for your life, church, but God had great plans. God had a greater plan in mind. You see, if her plans had worked, Moses would have lived, he would have been safe, but he never would have had access to the royal household. He never would have been driven into the desert to meet God in a burning bush. He never would have developed the character of a leader. And Israel would still have been in bondage. If her plans had worked, her son would be saved and her people would have died. God took a hopeless situation and he transformed it and turned it around. That's what our God does. And I think so many people today are like the mother in this story, right? We're operating out of a sense of fear, out of a sense of anxiety, out of a sense of scarcity, out of a sense of, I need to protect my own, I need to protect myself, I need to put walls up against the world and against my neighbors. Everyone is a threat to me. People who wear masks are a threat to me. Now people who don't wear masks are a threat to me. Now everybody's a threat to me, and the government's a threat to me, and the local authorities are a threat to me, and I can't go to the police because they're a threat to me, and I can't trust my neighbor because they're a threat to me. And so we put walls between us and everybody around us. So intent on preserving our own lives. And I understand that. I understand that you have good plans. Desperately trying to hold it all together. But God has got this under control. He has greater plans in mind. Recognize your foresight is limited. God sees everything. What if he were doing something right now? What if this moment in history where we are suffering, what if God is at work? Because for Moses' mother, having, having Moses discovered is suffering, and it feels like death, doesn't it? But God had a greater plan in mind. This moment might feel like death to us. God has got it under control, and he has a greater plan in mind. He's got you. I understand the anxiety, I understand the stress and the fear, but God has got you. He is more interested in your deliverance than you are. That's got to change the way that we live our lives. 
Let that word get into your brain and into your heart. Let it put you to sleep at night. Let it wake you up in the morning. Lord, help me. Let it control what you post on Facebook. Let it control the way that you talk to your neighbor. God is more interested in your deliverance than you are. You don't need to jump out there and defend yourself. Who is the one who defends? Who is the one who avenges? I myself, says the Lord, I will avenge you. Trust in me. Put your hope and your strength will come from me. He's got you. You don't need to be afraid. God is on your side. God is on your side. We've got to learn to do what this mother does. Because what happens? What's the result? What's the end result of this story? Not just Moses, but now his family. Because Pharaoh's daughter is paying his mother to nurse him. Right? And not just his family, but now all of Israel. It sets off a chain of events, which eventually leads to Israel being freed from Egypt and coming into the promised land and being numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky and possessing the promised land that God has promised Abraham. And through Solomon, you see every nation of the world being blessed by Israel and coming and blessing Israel. If they would only trust God, if they would only put their hope in God, he will see it through because he does not forsake his covenant with his people. 2,000 years ago, a man sat in a small room with 12 of his closest friends and he took some bread, right? Go ahead and take this out. He took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. This is my body which has been broken for you. Take it and eat it and remember me. Would you eat this? And what does Jesus say after he takes the bread? He takes a cup, right? And what does he say? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Just like God's covenant with Abraham, this is a covenant, a promise that God has given to you, given to every single person who would but put their trust in him, that he will never leave you or forsake you, that he will deliver you from all evil and darkness, that he will deliver you even from death. That is the promise that God has made for you. And if he could go to such extreme lengths to fulfill his covenant to Abraham, don't you know that he will go to even greater lengths to fulfill his covenant with you? This is the blood which is poured out for you. A new covenant. He entered into that covenant with us. Would you take this and drink? In the midst of the whirlwind of this world, in the midst of the chaos, you can have peace today if you would but put your trust in God. If you would but put your trust in God. Howard Thurman, who is a a theologian that I very much respect, he wrote this. The degree to which a person knows that God cares for him, that person, to that degree, is unconquerable 
from within and without. The degree to which a person trusts that God cares for them is the degree to which that person is unconquerable from within and without. Do you trust in the Lord today? Come back again to the foot of the cross. Come back again to the presence of the Lord and say, God, I trust in you today. I put my whole trust in you. It's a covenant that God will never break, that he is going to see us through, that he is going to make a way where there is no way. I want to end, I want to end our time by, by just speaking and praying a psalm over you. This is Psalm 18, and it's a long psalm, but it's a psalm that God has put on my heart and, and it's something that God speaks to us about who he is in the midst of trouble. So I know it's gonna, it might take a little while to get through it, but if you, would just, if you would close your eyes with me, and Lord, we just come into your presence. Lord, because we want to receive what you have to say to us. This is what God says in his word. We love you, O Lord, our strength. The Lord is your rock your fortress, and your deliverer. Your God is your rock in whom you take refuge. He is your shield and the horn of your salvation, your stronghold. Call to the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and you will be saved from your enemies. The cords of death may entangle you. The torrents of destruction overwhelm you. The cords of the grave coil around you. The snares of death confront you. But in your distress, you call to the Lord. You cry to your God for help. And from his temple, he hears your voice. Your cry came before him and into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. And the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from on high. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemies. Great bolts of lightning and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils, he reached down from on high and took hold of you. He drew you out of deep waters. He rescued you from your powerful enemies, from your foes who were too strong for you. They confronted you in the day of your, of your disaster, but the Lord was your support. He brought you out into a spacious place. He rescued you because you delighted in him. The Lord has dealt with you according to your righteousness. According to the cleanness of your hands, he has rewarded you. For you have kept the ways of the Lord. You have not done evil by turning away from your God. 
All his laws are before you. You have not turned away from his decrees. You have been blameless before him and have kept yourself from sin, and the Lord has rewarded you according to your righteousness, according to the cleanliness of your hands in his sight. To the faithful he shows himself faithful. To the blameless he shows himself blameless. To the pure he shows himself pure. And to the crooked he shows himself shrewd. He saves the humble and brings low those whose eyes are haughty. He, the Lord, keeps your lamp burning. Your God turns your darkness into light. With his help you can advance against a troop. With your God, you can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. Who is God besides the Lord, and who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms you with strength and makes your way perfect. He makes your feet like the feet of a deer. He enables you to stand on the heights. He trains your hands for battle. Your arms can bend a bow of bronze. He has given you the shield of victory, and his right hand sustains you. He stoops down to make you great. He broadens the path beneath you so that your ankles do not turn. You pursued your enemies and overtook them. You did not turn back until they were destroyed. You crushed them so that they could not rise. They fell beneath your feet. He armed you with strength for battle. He made your adversaries bow at your feet. He made your enemies turn their backs in flight, and you pursued your foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer them. You beat them as fine as dust borne on the wind. You poured them out like mud in the streets. He has delivered you from the attacks of the people. He has made you the head of nations. People you did not know are subject to you. As soon as they hear you, they obey you. Foreigners cringe before you. They lose all heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to our God. Exalted be God our Savior. He is the God who avenges us, who subdues nations underneath us, who saves us from our enemies. He has exalted us above our foes. From violent men he has rescued us. Therefore we will praise him among the nations. We will sing praises to his name. He gives us great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to us and our descendants forever. And Lord, we come before you today recognizing who you are, recognizing that your plans are greater, that your strength is mightier, that your endurance is far more and above anything we can imagine. So today, Lord, we're choosing to put our trust and hope into you. Because, God, there is no other name under which we may be saved. Lord, there is no other option here for us. So today, Lord, we choose you, and we choose to follow after you. We commit our lives to you, Lord, again and anew. In the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, amen.